I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest teaching that's ever been. I've spent a lot of time here lately, probably the last month and a half, couple months, in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. There's different things that have come out in different sermons that weren't even about the Sermon on the Mount that have kind of come forth. I found some really amazing things about the Sermon on the Mount. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus demonstrating to us a way of living, a way of walking in character, a way of walking in freedom that can only be found in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that's what the, that's what the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, that's what they're about. And what's funny is not once does, it, does Jesus mention the Holy Spirit in reference to these things. But I want you to think about this. I mentioned it, oh, I don't know, in a message about a month ago. That when Jesus was baptized, that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and then remained upon him. A voice from heaven came forth, this is my son whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. But the thing I want to draw attention to is the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained on him. Prior to that point, Jesus, and I'm not, I'm not willing to preach this message quite yet, but prior to that, prior to that event, Jesus had not performed a single miracle. Prior to that event, Jesus had not preached a single message. But you cannot tell me that when the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained on him, that he did not feel a tangible difference. That he did not experience something in that anointing that was so different. Because when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, when we look in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, everything he talks about, we cannot accomplish without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The sermon begins with these words, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's how it starts off. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, when we see it in Scripture, it's always dualistic. It, it always represents two things. It represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the earth right now that we walk in in His kingdom, that we seek, that we call forth. And then it represents the hopeful fulfillment of what we walk into when our time on this earth is done. It's both of those things. I want to encourage you guys. I'm only going to touch on a small part of, of this Sermon on the Mount today. But I want you to go back and I want you to read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. And when it talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, I want you to look at it as, is this referring to that temporary, out, you know, or, or the, the now, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's available to us through His anointing, through His power, his kingdom on earth, or is it talking about when we pass from this existence to the next and walk into the kingdom of heaven? I want you to look at Matthew 6.33 when it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What is he saying? Is he saying, Seek forth the time when you leave this earth and his righteousness, or is he saying, Seek ye first the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God right now and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When you look at when He explains the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Is he talking about what we can long for the day that we die and go to heaven? Or is he talking about your anointing come, your Holy Spirit come and remain upon us? The exact thing that Jesus experienced himself. Clearly you know which way I am leaning towards. So I want you guys to study that. Find some cool things. Let me know. Let's share. Let's dialogue. Let's grab coffee and talk only about this. Oh, we can talk about other stuff. There's lots of stuff to talk about. But let's talk about this. There's so much good stuff found in here. So we saw how it begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But how does this sermon end? What are the last words? What are the last thoughts? What's the last message that Jesus conveys? on this sermon that he preached, that he taught to multitudes, to large crowds. We'll get to that in a second. But before we do, I have a question. If you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, and he might ask you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would our answer be? What exactly would your response be to this question asked by the Lord Jesus Christ to you and I? Friends, we better answer correctly. Why should I let you into my heaven? As you're thinking about your answer, there might be some things that pop to mind as you're kind of processing, as you're sorting. Accomplishments. Lord, I was saved 30-some years ago, and since that time I dedicated my life to you. I sought you. I preached your word. Lord, uh, I pastored your people. Lord, I, I led worship. Lord, I taught Sunday school. Lord, I've got three words for you. 17 mission trips. Boom. We might think of things we've done for him. We might think of the, the, the works of our life. Why should I let you into my heaven? We might evaluate our life and we might say, Lord, I was a good person. Lord, I was kind. Lord, you saw the love I showed to people. Lord, you saw the generosity that I lived my life with. Lord, I helped the less fortunate. Lord, I showed love. I was as loving as I could be. If any of those answers were what we would reply to the Lord with, friends, I'm here to tell you that none of that matters in response to that question that Jesus might ask. Why should I let you into my heaven? None of that matters. If you and I are trusting our good works, we will go to hell. Period. Exclamation mark. 
Erase period, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. That's not what gets us to heaven, friends. I don't care how good we are. I don't care how kind we are. I don't care how noble we are. I don't care how generously we lived our lives. That is not what gets us into heaven. Our only hope of heaven, our only hope is the sinless life and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and trusting in Him alone. That's it. That's it. Outside of Jesus, we have no other hope. If Jesus were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? Our words should be this. Savior, you know me. You know that I utterly trust in you. I utterly believe in you. I completely need you. You know me. You know that I am fully aware that my life was purchased by your blood. You know me. Jesus, you know my mind because you're constantly renewing it. As I seek you, as I repent, as I turn to you and agree with you, you know my mind. You know me. Jesus, you know my heart. I'm available to you. I'm accessible to you. I keep nothing from you. There is no place in my life that is that I guard for anything outside of you, Lord. It's all yours. I'm accessible. I'm available. You know me. Lord, you know my heart. You know my heart. Because I seek you. And I'm passionate about, about growing in your Father's heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm faithful that my heart reflects your Father's heart. You know me. Why should you let me into your heaven, Lord? Only by your blood. And by that blood, you know me. How does Jesus end the Sermon on the Mount? He ends it this way in verse 21 of chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What a stark contrast between well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord and depart from me. I never knew you. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell 
and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And these, my friends, were the last words of the Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus closes this most epic of teachings with these words. It says that they were amazed. They were amazed at his authority. They were amazed at his authority. The things he said. He said radical things. He said radical things right here. He made claims about himself that had never been claimed. He says things like, um, you, you know, people will prophesy in my name. People didn't prophesy in the name of Jesus. Ever. They prophesied in the name of God, not the name of Jesus. He made claims about him being the judge. Him deciding where they go. He made claims that were outrageous. He made claims based on the confidence he had in who he was in knowing his identity and who he was. He made claims with absolute assurance knowing who he was that he is the Son of God that his Father is pleased in him and that the Holy Spirit remains upon him to accomplish all the things God has called him to do. That's amazing to me. That what started out with was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and 5.3 ended with everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. And then it goes on to say the fall was great. It fell and it was great. Tonight, I want to focus in on one of the harshest realities found in Scripture, and that was verse 21. Friends, none of our talk will get us into heaven. Talk is cheap. None of our proclamation that is not supported by belief and faith and obedience will get us to heaven. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. He says it twice. People will say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We did this for you. We, we did this in your name. Friends, it is not enough that we profess to be Christians. It is not enough that we come into this place. It is not enough. It is not enough that we are kind-hearted or generous. It's not enough. It's not enough that we serve in the children's ministry or on the worship team. It's not enough. Our lives have to be fully accessible and available to the Lord. Think about the power of these words. I do not know you. It says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. But yet in this, I do not know you. Do you think he was lying? I do not know you. Friends, do we make ourselves available and accessible and vulnerable to the Lord? beyond religion, beyond obligation. We can look at this in an eschatological mindset of being the end of the world. You know, end of our life. But what about right here? What about His kingdom on this earth right now? Lord, where's Your anointing upon me? Lord, where's Your giftings upon me? Lord, I want to do great things for You, Lord. I'm supposed to have a TV show and a really cool newsletter. 
The Mercedes comes with that. I'm supposed to have that, Lord. That's what was prophesied over me. Well, where's your anointing? I never knew you. I never knew you. Do we make ourselves totally available to the Lord? Where that He knows us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Is it possible to work miracles and not have Jesus know you? Is that even possible? Is it possible to cast out demons and not have Jesus know you? Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that second one. The sons of Sceva found out the hard way. They got beat down by those demons, but... When I was, I don't know, probably 20, it was 1990, I was playing college football, transferred to Cal State Northridge in the Valley in Southern California. And I was at my deepest, darkest point of rebellion in my life. I grew up in the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord at a young age. But this is the point when I rebelled. I walked away from the Lord and I was living my life for me. He had access to very little of my life. I I was sinning and I was sinning effectively. And we were at football practice one day before the playoffs. Our team had made the playoffs. And our star defensive end in practice it hit his knee. He fell to the ground. He cried out, ah, ah. He was writhing in pain. Trainers came out. This guy was an all-conference defensive end. And immediately I start thinking about the playoffs. I immediately I start thinking about how can we advance? How can we win a national championship without this guy, without Mario? I knelt down next to Mario. I put my hands on his knee. I'm pretty certain I was sober. I can't guarantee I was. But I put my hands on his knee and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he stopped wailing. And he says, holy something. I don't think he was praying. He might have been in agreement with me, but, you know. He gets up and God healed. God healed him. Why do I bring that up? Let's not underestimate what, what we know. I mean, this, the supernatural realm is a different realm and it's not this earthly realm. There's principles that God is true to because of who He is. He can't change. He is faithful and He's true. And, and He's true to principles. I spoke in the name of Jesus and it wasn't about my life and it wasn't about my sin and it wasn't about my rebellion. He honored His name. There is power in the occult. It's real. It's not, I mean, there's real power in the occult. In Satanism, in these things. Now, they can't bring life. They can't bring salvation. They can't bring deliverance. There's, there's not the kind of power that we need to walk transformed lives. But let's not be so naive to say, oh, well, this is hyperbole. Jesus is speaking in, in, in story here or in metaphors. Surely these people didn't do these things in his name and then him reject them. No, his word is true. 
Verse 23. Many will say to me on that day. Many will say to me on that day. Many. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. What a tragedy. You guys, there are sermons preached by people with powerful healing ministries. And honestly, I don't even, I, I tend to not listen to them anymore because I get frustrated. Big names who speak in big venues who preach to many people and don't ever bring the gospel message. Don't ever preach Jesus. And at the end, they pray for people and people are healed. And I wouldn't trade places with them for a billion bucks. For a billion bucks. I want Jesus Christ to be glorified in my life. And in the things that I flow in, they're His gifts from the Holy Spirit. And if I'm using them to, to build a church or to build a ministry or, or even to do noble things like to see people healed but not to see Him glorified, I am missing the mark. And that is called sin. Jesus ends His teaching with this parable. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man. Are we seeing a reoccurring theme here, friends? A wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the stand, on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. What is Jesus saying? Friends, he could not be saying it more clearly. And his little brother, his little half-brother James repeated it in James one twenty-two. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Be a doer of the word. Be a wise man. Be a wise woman who hears the word of God and then does what? Acts on them. Who hears the word of God and then acts on it. You guys, too many people don't want their problems solved. Too many people don't want their problems solved. When we point out the Word of God so clearly saying, hear the Word, do the Word. Hear the truth, obey the one who's bringing the truth. That leads me to say, people don't want their problems solved. Too many people. They want their problems hurt. And they want their problems understood. But they don't want their problems solved. Because if they refuse to do what the Word of God says, you don't want your problem solved. You just want to be understood. You just want to be heard. 
But you want to stay in that funky place of pain and hurt and bitterness because somehow it's become part of our identity and, and we're safer staying there. If we wanted our problem solved, we would be doers of the word. We would make our lives accessible to God. We would not keep Him at arm's length and say, you can have my life except for this. And, and this of course, that goes with that, but except for those two things and this. And this lamp. And this paddle ball. You can have everything else but all of those things. That's not accessible, friends. That is not accessible. And you don't want to be, you don't want to be set free if, if that's your life. Because he, he's the healer and he will touch every area of our lives. But you don't understand my mind. He'll heal it. He will heal your mind. If you'll make it available and you'll open it up, he will heal your mind. But you don't understand about my emotions. Ah, but he does. See, I don't understand, but he does, and he will heal those emotions. If we will make ourselves available, if we'll be doers of the word. Wisdom comes when two things merge. Wisdom comes when what merges? Hearing and doing says right here in this parable that Jesus said that closed out his sermon. Wisdom comes when we hear and we do. That's where wisdom comes. How many have cried out for wisdom? How many have cried out for wisdom? Good Lord, I cry out for wisdom every week. Sometimes multiple times a day. Wisdom comes when we hear and we do. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Believing. Believing that it's yours and it's yours. What's the best way to, to demonstrate belief? Doing. Doing. The wise man knows that the foundation is important. The wise man knows that the foundation is important. When I was a kid and I heard this story, and I heard, you know, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Here's what I envisioned. I envisioned a huge, massive rock. And the house was built on that rock. It was built on that huge, you know, massive rock. When I say huge, you know, let's, let's, let's just go and define. Let's say it's here, from the walls to where I'm doing now. So I don't know how many feet. By, let's call it 20 by 20 feet and then 20 feet high. And there's, sure. That's huge. And you built your house upon it. The wise man understands foundation. The wise man is willing to dig through the sand and dig and dig and dig and dig until what? Until he hits rock. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. The wise man is willing to be faithful and obedient into the things of the Lord. Digging and going deeper into him and going deeper until what? Jesus. Jesus! We just struck Jesus! The wise man knows that the foundation is extremely important. So I admire my brother, Michael. I admire his balance. I admire his training. I admire his dedication to, to the martial arts and, and the skills that he has. And if I told Michael that 
he was about to be in the midst of a storm. And that storm would be in the form of the five biggest men we have in this church. And he could choose a foundation which to defend himself. He could choose a foundation, this table, or this Home Depot bucket, to be his foundation from which he stands in the midst of this barrage. I know, my brother, that he is a wise man. And that he would choose whatever foundation was stronger and wider and larger to weather the storm. Because he's a wise man. I don't think he'd be thrilled about this. But it'd be better than this. Right? I'm not even... I thought about standing on this for the sake of demonstration. No way! Because this foundation is flimsy. And I will not stand on it. And I'm not going to ask my brother to come stand on this. And I'm not going to ask the five biggest men in the church to do a barrage of... Okay. A wise man understands how extremely valuable the foundation is. The wise man also understands that storms are part of life. The wise man understands that. Both the wise man and the foolish man both endured the storm. The wise man with his wonderful foundation on the rock was not spared the storm. The wise man who endured the storm because he built his house on the rock, at the end of that storm, at the end of the rains and and the winds and the floods, he wasn't guaranteed a new paint job. You endured the storm. So the wise man gets a new paint job and a new fence and new shrubberies. No, the wise man is promised that he will be left standing. That he will stand. That he will not crumble. That he will not fall. That he will stand. The wise man knows that storms are a part of life. So he prepares for storms by planning ahead and solidifying that base. That foundation. The wise man knows that storms are coming. So his foundation better be built firmly on the rock. If there were no rain, if there were no wind, if there were no floods, the foundation wouldn't be nearly as important. But the bottom line is there are. And the foundation is. Only storms reveal our devotion to preparation on our foundation. Only storms. Only storms reveal how much we value solidifying that foundation. Because those times that we're rocked, those times that we are hit, and that it's a barrage one after the other, that reveals how much we care about growing in relationship with Jesus Christ at that point. Many people at that point, at that barrage of storm, say, God, you've betrayed me. God, you're, you're, you're not real. You're fake. You're a lie. How could you let me go through that storm without realizing storms are part of the life that we live for everyone, for believers, for unbelievers? Our promise is that we will stand firm if we will find ourselves in Him. 
Please hear me and understand me. What makes the foundation a rock is not the Word of God. What makes the foundation of rock is not a Word of God. That is not what this says. What makes the foundation a rock is not only the content of the message of Jesus Christ. That is not what makes the foundation a rock. What makes the foundation a rock? What makes the foundation a rock is the hearing plus the application and action by the hearer. That's what Jesus said. That's not my interpretation. That's what he said. The hearing of his word and the application and the doing of his word. That is what gives us that rock on which our foundation is built. It's not just the hearing, guys, because we hear every week. I preach Jesus every week. I don't care what the topic is. Brad preaches Jesus every week. Andy preaches Jesus. We, in our workplaces, guys, we, we should be preaching Jesus no matter what the topic is. But I'm talking about the Holy Spirit is still Jesus. I'm talking about how good our Father is, exemplified by an obedient Son, Jesus Christ. But it's not just the hearing of Jesus. It's the application and the doing of what He said. We have to get this, friends. Because I believe His Word is true. And that we will all stand before Jesus at some point. And I know what I want to hear. Can I point out two things that are incredibly, incredibly inconvenient? Incredibly inconvenient. Number one, obeying the instructions of Jesus. Incredibly inconvenient. Incredibly. And number two, storms. Incredibly inconvenient. They just don't happen at the right time. And they're always bigger and wetter and messier than we think. But we have to make a choice between inconveniences in our lives. And we have to do so now. Why now? Quite simply, because none of us are promised a tomorrow. What do we choose between? The inconveniences of obedient life to Jesus? The inconveniences of the storm? Make a choice. Make a choice. Mark, I, I know that's that's awfully bold. That's awfully pushy. That's that's awfully un grace like. I don't know. Maybe, but it is wise. It is wise, and I do present that with grace. Choose. Jesus says there are only two ways we can build. Not many ways. There's two ways. We can either build on Him, His teaching and obedience to His teaching, or else we can build on anything else. Any religious philosophy, any temporal fad, any humanistic way of thinking, especially the humanism of self-importance. But if we build on that, we'll find that it's unstable, that it's, it's sand, the only stable building we can do is on Jesus Christ 
the hearing of His Word and obedience to it. Matthew 7.21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Matthew 7.26 Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. James 1.22 Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Be wise. Be wise men. Be wise women. Choose wisely. Be doers of the will of the Father. Let's do it together. Let's grow His kingdom, but let's do it for the sake of His kingdom, for the sake of our King. Let's let Jesus know us by making our lives accessible and available to Him. Through a relationship of trusting obedience to Him. Not religion. Relationship. This is my son right here. This is one of my daughters right here. When they make themselves available in my limitations as a father, I can I can help, I can affect, I can teach, I can love, I can say, come to me, and I can just hold. I can give instruction. I can say, let's walk this out together. I can do the things when they make themselves available. When there's an openness and there's an obedience to those things. How much more so with our Father in Heaven when we make ourselves available to His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. When we allow the Holy Spirit to remain upon us with His anointing to accomplish the things that He desires for us to do for Him. Let's be wise. Let's choose wise. And let's hear the words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Into the joy. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Of your Lord. But friends, we got to choose. we got to choose Jesus. we got to choose vulnerability. we got to choose openness. We've got to choose truth. We're hearing the word right now. Let's do what the Word says and not merely hear. Let's pray.